ella que ha pasado por su casa, que ha venido porque quiere ser feliz. Good morning, welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana, on a beautiful, beautiful sunny day. It's Sunday, November 13th, and we're happy to be here for Tom's World Language Cafe. Thank you for joining us. We would like to thank the University of Colorado and Colorado Springs, the staff, in fact, uh, the uh, students at uh, Radio UCCS for uh, supporting our show. Also, we'd like to thank Kyle Boyle, the station manager in March Mystery, uh, unfortunately, who is no longer with us. Uh, for their help they have given uh, to keep us uh, on, on the show and online radio. Uh, we would also like to uh, welcome today a very special guest who's coming to us uh, live. He's here with me uh, uh, in my uh, make, uh, make-believe uh, radio set in my office. And uh, his name is Julian Hernandez Angulo. And Julian comes to us from Havana, Cuba, where he teaches at the university. And he's going to tell you what he teaches and some things about what he does, life in Cuba, and a lot of fun things. Julian, welcome to the show. Okay. Well, thank you very much for being here, for yeah. inviting me, okay, to your show. Just be sure that you talk loud, okay? Okay. All right. As loud as we can go here, all right? Uh, now... Uh, Julian, tell me a little bit about your family in Cuba um, and uh, what everybody does, okay? Okay, I, concerning my family, I can uh, tell listeners that I live with my family, with my wife. I live with my wife and I also have two brothers and some other relatives. My family really is not so, so big, so but okay, we get along very well. My, uh, I live in an apartment uh, very near, okay, the sport hall, the main sport hall in Havana. What do I do in Havana? Well, I teach English at the Pedagogical University Enrique Jose Barona, and there I, my specialty is didactics of or methodology of foreign language teaching. I also teach Esperanto. I have taught Esperanto for many years now, and I also teach Spanish. From time to time, okay, I um, um, give my help to some pet school, and then I guide uh, teachers, I guide students who come to Cuba to learn the Spanish language. And well, life in Cuba, I can say that our Cuban people are um, um, happy trying to uh, continue developing developing our society. So we work, there are many students, there are many workers, and we are trying to solve some of our difficulties. Julian, can you tell the audience a little bit about what Esperanto is? Because um, many of them may not know. Well, Esperanto is an international language, okay, which was uh, created by a doctor, okay, Ludovico Lazaro Samenhoff. He was a, a Jew and afterward he graduated as a, an oculist. So the fact that he was living in a society where there were many ethnic groups and nationalities and people fought and battled because they did not understand one another made him think about the idea of creating a language in which, okay, everyone communicates on equal basis. 
he thought that that this way, okay, people, okay, will not fight. I will not, okay, assassinate or kill one another. That is the main ideals. These are the main ideals of the Esperanto language. So the first book was published on July the 26, 1887. Up to now, well, at present, I can tell you that there is an international community, okay, throughout the world, and there are Esperantists in the, the different continents, and we hold events, congresses, conferences, okay, every year. So, not only uh, uh, old people, but young people also practice the language. It has been very nice for me. It has made my, it has made my life, okay, very nice. Here in the United States, there are also, okay, a society, a group of Esperantists under the title, under the name of Esper Esperanto USA, Esperanto USA. Then later, perhaps I can give you some information for you uh, to get in touch with the Esperanto website here in the United States. Okay, that's good. And remind me as we, at the end if we can do that, right? Yes. Um, now, what about um, this Esperanto? It's rather, I think, it's like a little bit of each language, right? It takes a little bit from each language. Is that what happens? Well, come from the uh, lexical point of view, that is the the way the vocabulary of a language was designed, okay, the, uh, um, the creator, the planner of a language took into account those roots which were more popular at the, uh, the first half of the 19th century. So he took this into account, and based on this, he created a wonderful system of affixes, I mean, prefixes and suffixes in order to derive words, in order to, okay, uh, use the root, and based on the root, you add, okay, prefixes and suffixes. So, Esperanto is, is agglutinative language, it is a, a agglutinative language, and the grammar of the language is very simple. Basic Esperanto is based on 16 grammar rules, on 16 grammar rules. And concerning the phonetics of the language, okay, there is a sound for each letter. So there is no problem once you learn, okay, to pronounce a letter, these sounds will be the same in all contexts. So that is the, the um, um, something which is very easy, okay, uh, of the language as such. So really the, uh, the ideals of Esperanto uh, are very updated. So because, right. okay, we are uh, fighting, um, we are looking forward to a better world. How would you say, how are you in Esperanto? Kiel vi fartas. Kiel vi fartas. And how would you say, today is Sunday? Jodio estas dimancho. Okay. How would you say, what's the weather like? Kia estas lavetero, jodio. Okay. Uh... Now, listeners out there, that's that's really interesting, right? It's something we really don't think about much, but the use of Esperanto, quite uh, that was done to preserve peace as well. Uh, Julian, can you tell the listeners a little about a bit about life in Cuba, starting with the food? What's the food like in Cuba? Okay, poor Cuban people mainly eat chicken and pork. We also eat much rice, eat much rice, and okay, that is malanga, yuca and uh, potatoes, so we eat this, and uh, bread, okay, very much. So, uh, in, we could say, 
it is very popular also to eat Italian food, that is spaghetti and pizza, and we also like Chinese food very much. Okay, that is what we mainly eat in Cuba, and I cannot uh, forget, okay, beans, that is we like eating red beans, black beans and red beans, that's what we eat. Concerning what we drink, okay, we drink uh, uh, soft drinks, refreshments, a uh, beer, okay, Bucanero, uh, Cristal, are the two main brands of beer in Cuba, and we also drink much rum. Cuban people like drinking rum very much. Workers, after work, okay, they drink some rum, and on weekends, okay, people also, okay, play domino and drink rum. We also have, well, from time to time, we also drink cocktails, Cuba Libre, Cuba Libre, which is a mixture of water, coke, uh, coke and, and rum, and ice, and mojito, which is also very popular, okay, um, and famous drink in Cuba. And uh, what about the uh, education system? Is it different than our system here in the United States? How, how is it different? Well, in a certain way, we could say that it is different because education in Cuba is free. So every, city, every citizen has the right to receive free education in Cuba, and the Cuban government, since the very beginning, has fought to raise people educational level. I remember that in 1959, the rate of illiteracy in Cuba was uh, 73%. So immediately after the, uh, the beginning of the new government, okay, there was a literacy campaign who lasted for a year, and then most of the Cuban people learned how to read and write. From that time on, the society has fought to raise people educational level, that is, uh, to have people, okay, attain 6th grade, afterward ninth grade, afterward 12th grade. So we have, at present, we have many university graduates and professionals who have graduated from our university. At the beginning, I remember we have three universities, one in Santiago de Cuba, the other one in Villa Clara, and the other one in Havana. Now we have universities and university branches in all the provinces of Cuba. We also help in education some African, Asian, and Latin American countries because we have students from these countries who are studying in our classrooms, in our classroom. That's, that is what I can say concerning education in Cuba. We also have a, a technical school, okay, special education for people who are blind, okay, deaf and mute, and people who cannot move themselves. We also have an art education for future musicians, painters, and dancers to be, and sports education. Thanks to the sports education, we have a we have had athletes who have won, okay, Olympic competitions, Pan American and Central American competitions. How about transportation in Cuba? Is that a problem? <laughs> like in Havana, for example, is that a problem? Yes, that's, that's quite a problem, mainly in Havana, because Havana's infrastructure has become very, okay, limited concerning, concerning the number of inhabitants we have in Havana present. At present, we have more, that is, two millions and a half people in Havana, and, you know, most of the Cuban people don't have cars. So we move from one place to another in, in Guagua, that is, public buses we have, and they, they usually travel, okay, very full of people, and that's a problem we have. Eh? concerning this. We also use, that is, some private carts, which are called almendrones, that is, big almonds in English, and they help 
in a certain way, okay, uh, Cuban people, mainly Havana people, to move from one place to another. Although sometimes they are a little bit expensive for the average salary of the Cuban workers and for the students. Now these almendrones for the listeners, uh, the cars are kind of shaped like almonds or the big... Uh, long cars, uh, U.S. cars from the 50s and 40s. Yes. And uh, they have, the, the Cuban people have resurrected these, have kept them running, and now they serve as taxis for people and are called amendrones, these, these old cars, but they're beautiful. And they're classic 50s cars in 40s, 60s, early 60s. And uh, just beautiful how they've been maintained. Um so what about uh, the BC, ta uh, BC taxis? Are those kind of fun to take? Okay, those BC taxis, they okay, mainly run in Old Havana. In Old Havana, that is because in Old Havana, buses okay, do not go through Old Havana. So in the case Old Havana and Centro Havana, sorry, in other places they, they do not run. But they also help, okay, okay, quite, uh, they help, okay, are problems concerning transportation because people who cannot walk, okay, a, a, a long distance, okay, may rent a, a busy taxi and that is um, go from one place to another. So they help us very much. Now, what would you say are the three top places with monuments in Havana, the three top places? Oh, top places with monuments in Havana. First of all, we have that of uh, uh, the Revolution Square, okay, that is the Martí's Memorial, Martí's Memorial uh, at the Revolution Square, which is a historic place. And, and, and José Martí, for the listeners, what did he do, José oh, Martí? José Martí was a man, okay, who lived in Cuba in the second half of the 19th century, and he fought for Cuban independence. He was an intellectual, a writer, a poet, and then he uh, founded the, uh, the revolutionary Cuban party. And then uh, um, he died on May 19th, 1895, okay, giving an giving, being an example for the Cuban people. So he's, he, he is our national hero. That's why the, uh, the government of uh, um, the government um, built a memorial to honor him. We also have, okay, uh, the monument of Antonio Maceo at uh, the park, okay, which takes uh, its name. It is near the sea wall, Malecon, it is near the sea wall, and also we have an, uh, another monument that is in that monument erected to honor Cal, uh, Maximo Gomez, Maximo Gomez, which is also, which was a Dominican soldier who came to Cuba and to help, okay, in the Revolutionary War in 1895. Hmm? Now back to the Plaza de la Revolución. Uh, who was the person whose uh, face is uh, uh, etched on the one building? It was uh, Camilo Cienfuegos. Is that who it was? The one, the one, the one person on one of the buildings at the Plaza de la Revolución. Ah, yes, yeah, we have two figures. Camilo, Camilo Cienfuegos is one mm -hmm. of them, and the other one is Ernesto Che Guevara. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, who, why was Camilo Cienfuegos that so important? Uh, okay, he was so important because okay, he outstood during the Revolutionary War. He was very loyal to Fidel Castro, and he really. 
participated in the most difficult battles. Mm -hmm. So that's why he gained Fidel's confidence. And at the very beginning, one of the rallies at the beginning of the revolution, Fidel asked Camilo, Do I, am I doing well, Camilo? Am I doing well? That showed, okay, how, how much Fidel, okay, trusted this man. Okay? Now, that's on the building, too, and it says the answer to that, that... Uh, yes, the answer to that is, okay, you are going well, Fidel. You are going, you are going well. Bas bien, Fidel. Bas bien, bas bien. So Fidel. the answer for you people who, who haven't been to the, the square, the Plaza de la Revolución, one of the things that beneath the, the, the face of uh, Camilo Cienfuegos, it says, um, si, Fidel, vas okay. bien. And uh, so Fidel asked him if he's doing well. He says, yes, vas bien. And then we have the other one, Che Guevara, who was born in Argentina, but uh, spent quite a bit of time in Cuba uh, helping with the revolution there in, in, in 1959. And... Um, What does that say on there? There's something underneath that to ask. Yes, in Spanish, hasta la victoria siempre. The translation into English is ever onward to victory. Okay. Ever onward to victory. Okay. Now, we get back to one of your things. I know it's very dear to you because you teach about this, right? You teach about this great author, this American author, U.S. author, author, Uh, by the name Ernest Hemingway, who ended up, I believe he was 21 years living in Cuba. Um, can, can you tell the listeners some of the things Ernest Hemingway did in Cuba, where he used to hang out maybe, you know, and spend time? You know, Ernest Hemingway liked Cuba from the very beginning. Though it was quite, once he visited Cuba for the first time, he decided to continue visiting the, 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 the island, and then he settled down there and he lived for many years in Cuba. First, he lived in Ambos Mundo Hotel, and afterwards he went to live to, that is, in San Francisco de Paula, okay, neighborhood, and there at present we have, okay, his house is at present a museum, that is Hemingway's museum. So he, he really mingled with the Cuban people because Cuban people admired him very much, and he used to, while being in Cuba, he wrote, okay, a, a, a lot, a lot, and he used to uh, to go to Floridita bar, okay, to drink Daiquiri, because he liked, uh, okay, to drink a little bit also. So, he also uh, had a very active life together with the fishermen, mainly in Kohima. With those fishermen in Kohima, they were very, he, uh, very good friends of Ernest Hemingway. And there is something which is Uh, that is, Ernest Hemingway won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1954. And then the well-to-do people, wealthy people, were going to, to pay um, an homage, okay, or were to, going to honor him on behalf of the, uh, no, because of the, of the Nobel Prize. And then he asked them to invite these feature men, okay, in Kohima, and he said, they should be in my, in, in my party, That is, in the homage you are going to, okay, to do to me, because they are my friends. So, really, he, uh, Ernest Hemingway was also Fidel Castro's friend, and he met many literary people in Havana. And that's what, that's what I can say concerning Ernest Hemingway's life in Havana, Cuba. Well, thank you very much. That's It brings me to another interesting thought. Five years ago, 
I think it was around five years ago, there was an article uh, in the New York Times by a writer who had done some study on Hemingway in Madrid, and they actually had, he published this little thing in his article about the Ruta de Ernest Hemingway in Madrid. And so it was like there was a route of Ernest Hemingway in Madrid where he used to kind of hang out in Madrid. So it's interesting that, that, he, that Hemingway had such a great love of, of Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. And the culture of Cuba and, and of Spain, especially Madrid, uh, just kind of uh, astounding in a way that, uh, that he felt uh, that this close to the countries. Uh, and, you know, I think the listeners probably know this, but uh, uh, the last Spanish colony uh, in this hemisphere was Cuba. Uh, and I think there's still a very close relationship between the two countries uh, because of that. Now, what about uh, sports? Can you tell the listeners about three three sports heroes that come to your mind, three or four famous Cubans who, who excelled in their sports, like in track and field? Who would that be? Well, yeah, I could tell you that also from 1959, okay, on, okay, the government uh, favored... Okay, sports teaching very much. So they create the government created sports school, and out of this school, okay, came a outstanding Cuban athletes. And among these athletes, we have to mention uh, um, Alberto Juan Torena, Alberto Juan Torena, who won in um, in the Olympic Games, celebrated in Montreal in nineteen. Uh, 74, something like that. I don't. It was track and field. Track and field. Right. So he was a runner. He's a runner. And then we also have a uh, um, Anafidelia Quirot, Anafidelia Quirot, which is also an Olympic winner. And we have also Javier Sotomayor, uh, who is a jumper. Okay, and what? his world record hasn't been okay. Um, Topped yet? Yes, yes top or achieved. How, how yet. about how about? Um, um, mm. Baseball, I mean baseball. Uh, baseball, well, baseball, we have won, okay, different, okay, international competitions, and, uh, you well... Can, you think of any big league players? Big league players, well, now Liga. we have, at present, at Grandes Liga, we have uh, um, Alexei Ramirez, Alexei Ramirez, one of them, Alexei Ramirez, uh, Roberto Contreras, Roberto Contreras is another one, uh, uh, there is another one whose name, surname is Abreu. I don't remember now the name exactly. Okay. We have okay. some. We have some. Okay. Now, why would you tell the listeners about your uh, your time here in uh, um, in the United States? You've been here about ten days now. Is the U.S. pretty much like you thought it would be, uh, or what things kind of stood out that, that you liked about the culture? Okay, really, it has been quite an experience, my visit to the United States, specifically to this beautiful city, to this beautiful state, which is Indiana. I thank, okay, God and uh, many other uh, deities because of the invitation I've received from from you, okay, Professor Tom Alsop, okay, and his wife. And then, really, I have met here very nice people. I have the possibility to to meet, okay, some teachers of Spanish at the Congress, which was held, okay, uh, last week um, at Sheraton, in one of Sheraton hotels here in Indiana. And there I attended some lectures, and I worked a little bit with Tom Alson. 
at this uh, Congress. And then afterwards, I had the possibility of meeting, okay, university students, college students, high school students, and I talked to them about Cuba, about Cuba today. So really, I have met many people. Okay, my expectation really has been, okay, uh, uh, fulfilled. And I knew, okay, uh, more or less about the life here in the United States because this is the, okay, the first developed country of the world. But although I knew this, for me, it has been really great, okay, to have the possibility of meeting U.S. people, of seeing the city, of seeing the way, okay, uh, American people live here in this uh, beautiful, okay, state and beautiful city of Indianapolis. Now, now, uh, and I was fortunate enough to have met Julian back in October of 2015 uh, when I was in Havana to, we set a, he helped us set up a course uh, in the summer for Spanish teachers of the United States to improve their Spanish and knowledge of Cuba, Cuban culture. And Julian was very instrumental in that. And uh, we are so glad that he got to visit us. This is his first visit to the United States, and we're very happy to have him and proud of all that he's done while he's been here. And he's done some teaching, and, and he's done a lot of networking and met lots of teachers. And so we're, we're very glad of the exchange of the, the culture as well where uh, uh, hopefully that the, the teachers have learned a lot uh, from in Indiana and Indianapolis from Julian and, and Julian about us as well, and uh, that we can uh, keep up and, and even uh, broaden what we're doing now to make the uh, Cuban uh, exchange uh, between the people uh, much, much better, and uh, we, can, we can even do better with that. But we're just uh, delighted that Julian took time to visit us. Now... Uh, Julian, let's talk about methods. You and I, Julian, and I, especially in Cuba, we always uh, talk about methods and methodos and how how uh, teachers teach. And I do know that you really like to get your students in English, just as we like to get our students in Spanish talking, right? And uh, do you do you think that speaking is really important in the teaching of language English? Yes, yes. Speaking is, uh, well, well, out of the four main skills, out, out of the four communicative skills, speaking is very important, okay, because it gives you the possibility, okay, to communicate orally with people, to exchange information, and to perform in the language. If you are able to speak, okay, fluently and accurately, okay, you really are a competent communicator, and that helps very much. Now, what about... A good, really good world language teacher. What makes somebody a really good dynamic language teacher? Okay, first having, a, first studying, reading a lot, reading a lot, reading about the theory concerning, okay, language teaching. Then a, um, planning your lesson carefully, planning your lesson carefully, taking into account, okay, the kind of students you have, and also trying to see other te other teachers do. Okay, other teachers performing in the classroom. That was my, uh, I would say, my, my university because I had the chance of, okay, being an advisor. And while being an advisor, I visited many teachers. And all teachers, okay, teach you something, okay, valuable. So, uh, if you want to be really a good world language teaching, you have to study. You have to study in other to get the theory of the language teaching, the science of foreign language teaching. 
because sometimes teachers teach, but they do it empirically. So they don't have a sound knowledge of the uh, teaching science as such. And uh, it is very important to study, to study and to exchange information with other, that is, um, expert teachers who can help you very much too. Now, what about the um, your uh, favorite places to visit? That you have been to various countries over the years. What country is your favorite country to visit? Well, up to now, it can say, okay, I I remember when I was in Spain. I went. I was in Spain for two, uh, twice. So I, I miss in 1988 and 1993, and I liked Spain very much. I was in Madrid. I was in Valencia. I was also in England. In England, I was in London, and I had the possibility of visiting, okay, some uh, English cities and meet also English people. It was great that visit, and I think the, that also this visit to the United States, okay, I have enjoyed this visit to the United States very, very much. Okay, the way people are. Okay, I have had the communicate, communi I have communicated with many people, and really. I think these are the three places I have liked the most, okay, of all the countries I have visited. Wonderful. Now, what about uh, any advice for beginning world language teachers? What would you tell a young person who wants to be a teacher? Okay, if those young persons who want to be a teacher, okay, they should, uh, um, okay, learn um, every day about, the, about language teaching. They should try to talk with uh, all teachers, experienced teaching, uh, teachers, in order to have get more information about the profession as such, and they should never okay give up. So once they start, they should continue because we have many challenges. You know, uh, teenagers working at schools is not so easy because sometimes students misbehave, and we have to overcome this. So that's why we should be all teachers should be aware of the need of teachers in the world, um, of the need of educating, okay, children, educating teenagers for them, to, for them to be better, okay, citizens. And in this case, first, I always tell teachers that in, in the profession, that is, in the teaching professions, there are three moments. The first moment is when you plan the lesson. The second one is when you put it into practice. And the third one is the reflections you made about what you have thought. So if you reflect on what you have done, then you can better up and increase, okay, uh, your knowledge um, and become a better teacher. So once you have thought, please sit down and meditate on what you have done, what was good and what was not so good, and try to uh, improve, okay, your work every day. Planning is very important for a teacher. Planning on the base of reading, on the base of studying, on the base of hearing the pieces of advice of more experienced teachers. I, I really like uh, the advice there, Julian. It was well, well said. One of the things I would like to add to that and, and emphasize that you mentioned is reflection and how that it's so important that after you teach, a, a unit, or let's say you go through three days in a unit or five days, that you take time and look back and see what the results were. How did it go? How did everything go? Um, 
what were the high points and, and the not so high points? How can you improve the lesson? How can you get better every week? And uh, I think that's really significant because reflection leads to better teaching, superior teaching. And uh, once, but we can't improve if we don't look at what we're doing and say, you know, this really went well, this didn't go so well. And we have to kind of tweak and change what didn't go well. And uh, I think that's really a wonderful point, the reflection part piece that you mentioned is is well taken and well said about that. Um, so uh, here we are um, today, it's 2016, and uh, Julian has spoken to students and teachers and presented at um, uh, Butler University, Franklin College here in Indianapolis, Ron Colley High School, Southport High School, um, and uh, where was the other school? No, these are the four ones because we oh, there were four. Yes, okay, Franklin College. Because you were there two days. So anyway, uh, those are the places that you've been. You've seen our technology here. Uh, is technology in Cuba is a little behind a little bit, or needs to be? It's probably will improve. Obviously, it's improving by okay. the day. I think because we are that is a we are a poor country, so we haven't had so much. So many opportunities of developing ourselves, and there is a difference. But there's a great difference, really. Right. When I visited your, your classrooms, I saw, I could uh, see the, the the technology. Okay, how modern technology is provided in the different in the different rooms. So we still have some difficulty concerning this. Although, okay, we, we, we are trying, we are trying, and we have okay computers yeah. and we have labs. In our in our in our school, but okay, there is a difference. There, there's a difference. However, one one of the things I was very impressed with this summer, uh, when we had our uh, our course this summer in in June in, in Havana, Cuba, was the tremendous interest on the part of young people to become uh, technology prepared, and they were working hard, working fast, and some of them were very impressive. So I don't think you're going to be behind very long. No, no, not very long. No, and I don't even know if you are okay. behind. I mean, yes. I think there's a lot, so much going on in Cuba right now. It's really wonderful. It's, it's beautiful. Um, okay, listeners, uh, we are coming to the end of our show. And uh, I would like to invite you, if you happen to be in Boston, Massachusetts, this week for ACFIL, the conference, to stop by my booth and say hi. Uh, and uh, we'll be in Boston uh, starting Thursday until Monday. And it's a wonderful conference, uh, always well attended. And uh, if you stop by the booth, we'll show you some of our new materials. And uh, we'll talk also to you about our wonderful immersion programs, the language culture that we have in Havana, Cuba, Madrid, Spain, and Guadalajara, Mexico. So have a great day and a beautiful, beautiful day here. It's Sunday, and I hope it's beautiful where you are. And stop back and listen and see us. And we will have a, a wonderful show or two right after ACFEL uh, with some very important guests uh, and, and very important people in our language profession. We're very honored to have Julian here today. Um, Julian is a, a, one of the great teachers in, in Cuba and Havana and also a beautiful uh, knowledge of uh, foreign language education as well. So, uh, and, and of course, English. He speaks beautiful English, as we've just heard and also a Spanish teacher 
of, of high high uh, high note and also uh, great with Esperanto. Julian, thank you very much. I'm going to say goodbye to everybody. Vamos a despedirnos, Julian. Puedes despedir a los oyentes en, en español, ¿vale? ¿Qué quieres decirles algo antes de salir en español? Bueno, eh, que estoy muy agradecido, que estoy muy agradecido de haber estado acá con ustedes en este programa y de haber tenido la posibilidad de eh, estar algunos días en esta bella ciudad de Indianápolis, en el estado de Indiana. De, de todo corazón, muchas gracias a todas esas personas que han posibilitado mi viaje a los Estados Unidos. Es la primera vez que he estado, regreso el lunes a, a La Habana, pero regreso lleno de, lleno de emociones y de eh, momentos agradables que he vivido entre ustedes. Muchas gracias. Bueno, entonces, everybody have a wonderful day and thank you so much for the kind words, uh, Julián. And we'll see you on our next show, okay? Bueno, bueno, bueno entonces, que pasen un día fabuloso y estamos ya en una semana o dos y no se olviden ustedes ya de, de escuchar este programa en el futuro también. And we are delighted to have your support. And thank you to the University of Colorado. We now listen to Alejandro Fernandez y con, con la canción Canta Corazón. Okay, have a great day. Bye. Ha venido porque quiere ser feliz.